We have one question that involves two different areas tonight, and it won't take up all of our time, and so you'll get out a little bit early, but we owe you a little bit from this morning. Um, but this question was turned in by one of our young people, and uh, the question basically is, is it scriptural for us to raise holy hands, lift holy hands in worship service, and is it scriptural to clap during the worship service? And evidently this young person had gone to a service somewhere, uh, I'm assuming at a Church of Christ where this was going on, and therefore it's what uh, sparked the question. Well, let's deal with the first thing concerning the lifting of holy hands. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. The reason why we're going to look at this scripture is because this is the scripture where this particular idea came from. Um, it's a misuse of this particular scripture, but we do want to look at the scripture to make sure we understand what it is teaching and what it is not teaching. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul begins this particular chapter talking about prayer, and evidently from the context, he, remo- he moves on to public worship and what should take place in public worship. And this is what he says beginning at verse 8. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Paul is telling us as men that we have a responsibility to lead the worship regardless of where you are. The idea of everywhere here doesn't mean that everywhere you go that men are supposed to be praying, but in the situation where men are going to pray in a public way, that it's the men that are supposed to do it, and in the process of them doing it, they need to lift up holy hands. Well, the holy hands being lifted up here is not the physical gesture of holding your hands up. The holy hands that's being talked about here is a holy life, a holy person. Uh, We know that because in the very next verse, he says, in like matter also, in other words, there's a connection here, talking about a woman's responsibility and also the woman, uh, how how she's supposed to act. It says in like manner in verse 9 also that the women adore themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And then in verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Paul is setting the stage that one of the things that if a man's going to take a leading part in the worship service, he needs to be, of course, forgiven of God. He needs to be separated. He needs to be sanctified. He needs to have some, be someone who can lift up his life before God because he's in a right relationship with God. Nowhere in the passage is it talking about a physical thing that he is doing because nowhere else in the passage does it talk about physicality, especially in verse 9 is it doesn't talk about anything that women need to be doing in a physical way as far as a part of the worship service. But also, but in the context, he's talking about men should be living a certain way and women should be living a certain way when they're in the worship service. And that is what's uh, going on here. The holy hands just simply made a holy person. Now, someone will ask the question, well, is there anything wrong with lifting holy hands? No, not in and of itself. If you want to raise your hands up in worship service for some reason... There is no scripture that dictates that you cannot do that. 
There's also no scripture that dictates you can't stand on your head. There's no scripture that says you cannot lay down. There's no scripture that says you can't turn around backwards and face the congregation the other way. My point in that, because that all sounds very silly, is that I want you to think about how distracting that would be. For example, if I decided in order to, what I think would be more pleasing to God is to lay down in the pew while I sing, that would maybe cause some distraction. Or especially if I stood on my head. I can't stand on my head, but if I could stand on my head, maybe Jamie can do that for us, because I saw her do that the other day. But anyway, um, once again, that would be distracting. There wouldn't be anything wrong with it. But at the same time, what is the purpose in it? Well, the purpose of the idea of lifting hands and waving them and whatnot goes all the way back to the Pentecostal charismatic movement. Uh, that's where it began. And they used this particular verse as a um, proof text, if you will. And the purpose of that was to show, show an emotional response to the Holy Spirit acting upon them. And here in the religious world, as a part of the impact of emotionalism, people... Um, adopted it. It's even been adopted in some of our progressive churches of Christ to show that they're more open to the spirit, that they're more open to emotional response to the worship service. And let me make it clear, there's not a thing wrong with being emotional during a worship service. Uh, If a person is singing praises to God and it causes them to smile, that's a wonderful thing. If um, someone is singing praises to God and it causes them to cry, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. The, the things that are being said and the scripture that's being thought about and the response of what God has done for us and what his son has done for us, there can be some emotional response. But at the same time, that re- emotional response should be a sincere response and not just simply something done for the sake of doing it. Um, I have run into people down through the years being a gospel preacher and also being a Christian that just smiled the entire time they were singing songs. Whether it was a sad song or whether it was not a sad song, they just grinned the entire time and not attacking their motives or any way, but almost seemed a little odd to me. And then I've run into people who, regardless of what the song is being sung, they always were just just almost had tears in their eyes. And once again, not to attack their sincerity, but yet at the same time, it makes you think a little bit. And so you, you think about what is the emotional response of somehow or another raising hands and waving them. Well, I, I don't know. Is it something that really is an emotional response, or is it just something that is done for show? And like I said, there's no reason uh, in Scripture why someone could, would, uh, could not do that. Uh, the Bible is not, does not dictate any particular posture or any particular action as far as what someone does um, in the worship service. But yet, at the same time, you need to think about what is your motives in it. Is it for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself, or is it a legitimate response to the things that, are, that you are experiencing in the worship service because of the things being sung or the things uh, being taught? And so, think, I guess the thing that concerns me the most about it, if we started doing that here, is the fact that it's something that has been done in denominationalism for some time now, 
and those who are part of what we might call the progressive wing or the liberal wing of the churches of Christ who are wanting to be more and more interdenominational instead of non-denominational it is something that they have started practicing and I don't know if I want to leave someone in the church with the impression that I condone such a thing. So I hope that answers that particular question. The second question is about clapping during the worship service. And um, you may have been to worship service where um, the, the people are singing, and during the singing they, they start clapping to the beat of a particular song. Well, a couple passages that we need to appreciate and understand. The very first one is John chapter 4 and verse 24. Uh, these are passages that you're already familiar with, but they need to be reemphasized. John chapter 4 and verse 24 says, God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And of course, we know from this particular passage that uh, since God is a Spirit, uh, he demands that he be worshipped in the right kind of way, and it has two components to that. There's the idea of being in the right kind of spirit or having the right kind of heart. We can't be involved in vain worship where we simply go through the motions, and, and what we are doing and saying means nothing to us other than it's a mechanical thing. God is not pleased with that. But also at the same time, things must be done according to his truth. In other words, what has God laid down in the scriptures that he says is pleasing to him when it comes to the worship service. If we're going to worship God, and this was Jesus' whole argument with the Samaritan woman, it needs to be done in the right kind of way, a way that is pleasing to God. And that's the emphasis of this passage. And then we move and start looking through the Bible, and we start looking at those ways that are acceptable to God as far as worship is concerned. And we look directly or specifically as far as our singing is concerned, the, the musicality part of our worship, if you will. And, of course, we turn to such passages as Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, where Paul reminds us that we need to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We need to be involved in singing, and that singing involves making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then Colossians, of course, 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then we will add to that if, uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, where the writer of Hebrews says, By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In other words, the only thing that we have scriptural authority for in our worship service is a cappella singing. That is singing without an instrument. Uh, as I told you before, the idea of a cappella is a Latin word that comes from uh, many, many centuries ago that means in the manner of the churches or the matter of the chapel. Um, the idea of having instruments in the worship service is something that is a relatively new thing in the scheme of things, but even denominational churches for, for many years did not use instruments, and even today when someone says a cappella, they understand that means to, to sing without an instrument, uh, instrument accommodate, uh, um, without an instrument. And so even the root word itself reminds you that there was a time in the history of the Lord's church where 
No one used instruments. In fact, any of those people who followed the Christian religion uh, did not use instruments. In fact, some of the great commentators from other um, denominations writing on these particular verses all agree that it says the same thing, though some of the newer commentators, of course, do not say that. Well, someone might say, well, what in the world does that have to do with clapping? Well, folks, we have no authority in the scriptures to add something to our singing that is not authorized. And whether you believe it or not, when you clap, what have you done? You have turned your hands into a percussion instrument. If you clap the beat, you're doing nothing more than hitting a drum or hitting a cymbal or doing something like that that is a musical accompaniment to add to the music, if you will. And if you can clap to a song, then why would we not be able to put two cymbals in our hands and hit cymbals together at certain times? Or for that matter, if we can make our hands into a percussion instrument, why could we not at the same time uh, have a bass drum up here and whether it be Jeremy or whoever that's singing up here in order for us to keep the beat, he could just keep hitting that bass drum to make sure we have the beat so we could keep our time and we could keep going. And then somebody says, well, you know, it would be better if we maybe added something a little bit more to not only to the beat but also to make sure we have the proper tune and harmony. Why don't we have someone up here playing a guitar? That way we'll be able to make sure that we're staying on tune and make sure we're staying up with the melody and the timing of the song. Um, as I said, the raising of holy hands in and of itself is harmless. I would make sure we understood our motives behind it before we do it. But I'm very clear that the Bible teaches that you cannot add something to the worship service that God has not specifically give us, given us the authority to add. When he says sing, that takes care of everything else. When God told Noah to build the ark out of gopher wood, he didn't have to tell him, don't use pine, don't use oak, don't use hickory, because when he specifically said gopher wood, that excluded everything else. When the Bible tells us that we need to sing and make melody in our hearts, that excludes everything else. Have you ever wondered why we don't have um, pizza on the Lord's table? Have you ever wondered why we don't pour little, little uh, cups of Coke in the communion? Have you ever wondered why we don't put peanut butter and jelly on the bread? Well, you say that's absurd. Well, the Bible doesn't say that you can't, but yes, it does. Because when he specifically names bread, unleavened bread, and the fruit of the vine, that excludes everything else. For example, if I told you to go to the um, Duke's Grill, we were talking about Duke's Grill a few moments ago. If I told you to go to Duke's Grill and bring me a hamburger back with chili, mustard, and onions, then you need to bring me back a hamburger with chili, mustard, and onions. That specifically names what I want. I don't have to make a long list that says don't put mayonnaise on it, don't put cheese on it, don't put lettuce on it, don't put tomato on it. That excludes everything else. But if I say go to Duke's Grill and just bring me back a hamburger, then you could put everything, anything you want to on it because I did not specify what I wanted on that hamburger. My point in all that is when the Bible specifically names something, it excludes everything else. It's called the principle of exclusion. In other words, as I've already said, when God told um, Noah to build the ark out of gopher wood, that excluded everything else. 
When Jesus said that the Lord's Supper consisted of bread and fruit of the vine, that excludes everything else. When we are told in God's Word to sing and make melody in our hearts, He specifically says sing. He specifically says that the sacrifice of praise that needs to come from us comes from our lips. That excludes everything else. He didn't have to say, well, you can't use this instrument. You can't use this instrument. You can't clap. That excludes everything. And so it's my firm belief that when someone begins clapping in the worship service, they are adding something that the Bible did not specify that we could do. We are basically making our own bodies as a percussion instrument. Imagine what would happen if we decided that uh, whenever we got to a certain point in a song, uh, somebody in the background would start making trumpet sounds with their mouth. Or somebody would start doing some other type of noise with their uh, mouth or with um, the waving of their hands hitting against something. Once again, it would be something that is not authorized because the Bible is very clear that the only thing that we have authorization for if we're going to worship God in spirit and truth is what the Bible commands, and the Bible commands that we need to sing. Now, I know in the society we live in today, even among some churches of Christ, that's not a very popular view. And the reason for that is, is because it seems like more and more we want to be like the denominational churches around us. But once again, we need to be reminded what Jesus told that lady at the well. God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In order for worship to be pleasing to God, it must be something He authorizes. If it's not something done that is pleasing to God, we may call it worship. We may even enjoy it and get an emotional charge out of it. But it's simply vain worship. It's empty worship because it's not real worship. We're not pleasing God. We're just simply pleasing ourselves. Well, as I said, this would not take up the entire time that we have this evening, but I hope all of us have either learned something or reinforced something you already knew. But at the same time, I hope you'll take the time to do your own Bible study and see if you come to your own conclusions. If you have a need this, uh, this evening, uh, whether it is to become a Christian or whether you have some other need that the church can help you with, we want you to come as together we stand and sing.